All right. Well, it is definitely good to be here this morning, and uh, I am very excited to uh, begin uh, our uh, next uh, sermon in the here in the Book of Luke. I want to welcome uh, all the visitors this morning. Uh, those who I haven't yet to meet and those who I just briefly met in the break, thank you for coming. I hope that you'll be blessed for having been with the saints here at Holland Gospel Chapel today. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of Luke. We are uh, continuing to make our way through this wonderful book. And today we will be starting with verse 36. And we're going to be talking about Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. Now often when Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, He's dealing with them as a group, and He doesn't really single any one of them out. And usually He has some pretty harsh things to say um, to them. But I think uh, this is at least an example of a Pharisee that, that started to think along the right lines. I'm not exactly sure what Simon ended up uh, choosing to do ultimately with Jesus, but he obviously was kind of pointed in the right direction in this story. And so as we uh, open the Word and begin to read, we will uh, find that uh, God has some lessons for him and for us. So um, I hope that we will all be uh, in tune to that. Let's start reading in uh, verse 36 of chapter 7. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bitten him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. <coughs> Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou dost not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, 
Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, may we be open in our hearts to what you have to share with us. May you and your spirit uh, be real to us today and may you uh, in, encapsulate everything that is said and, and make it clear so that we can not only hear it, but be doers of the word as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so the first thing, and if you're keeping notes, I just simply titled this, Jesus Teaches Simon About Humility. And the first point we want to center on is Jesus shows Simon that he cares about the thoughts of men. Now I find it interesting a couple of things here in the beginning. First of all, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to eat with him. Most of the time, the Pharisees are ridiculing Simon, or ridiculing Jesus, for spending time with sinners. And so they don't want anything to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, they want to discredit Jesus as much as they can, and they want to keep their distance. But Simon invites Jesus for a meal. And the second thing I notice here is that a sinner, a lady of ill reputation, comes in while Jesus is sitting down at the table and starts to wash his feet. Now, I don't know why this lady, um, how this lady got into Simon's house or how, how she felt the liberty to do that. But I... But I also think that Simon kind of had an idea of what Jesus, how Jesus would react to her. And so, even though he doesn't want to say anything, his thoughts are this. That if he knew what type of person she was, he would not allow this because she's a sinner. And that's actually one of his first mistakes. And why is that? Because we are all sinners. None of us are better than the other. And so as Simon's sitting here, he has these thoughts that this woman is a sinner. And he's watching her weep and, and wash Jesus' feet. And he has that thought. And um, I just... I think about how much the thoughts of, of our hearts and the thoughts and intents of our hearts are important to God. Uh, they are. You know, a lot of times people say, well, um, you know, Jesus came and He fulfilled the law. So we're not under the law, but we're under grace. So we don't have to worry about following the law. And there is a certain truth to that. We don't. We're under grace. But there's also a certain truth to which grace is a higher calling. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said by men of old, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you that if you look unto a woman with lust in your heart, you commit adultery. And so Jesus is raising the bar, and he's saying your thoughts are just as important as your actions. As a matter of fact, in 1 John, he says that if you have hatred in your heart toward your brother, then you're guilty of murder. And he says, if you can't love your brother whom you've seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? 
So Jesus was all about raising the bar. Yes, it's a bar that we can't reach on our own. But Jesus wasn't simply saying you can go about your life the way it is. He was saying, I'm coming to change your life. Um, he, he didn't come to, to, to save us just for tomorrow and leave us where we are and hope that we get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. He came to change us for now and to continue changing us and to conform us into the image of His Son so that when we reach heaven, we will be prepared. You know, as we were uh, singing that song, and when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. You know, I love that verse, because I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord. Even though right now I'm sitting, even though I've been sitting my whole life, one day I will stand before the Lord. And I will be complete because the work that He's doing in my life will be completed. And He promised that the work that He began in me, He will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we see that the thoughts of man are important to God. And we also see that the Pharisees had this idea that anybody that wasn't as perfected as they were, were a sinner. But what was it that Jesus said? He said, I'm come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, if you think that you're righteous, if you think that you're good enough, there's no way that you can get help. It's only when you know that you're not good enough that you can receive help from the Lord and that He can make a difference in your life. I like to look at a cross-reference in the book of John, chapter 9, verse 24. If someone would like to read it when they arrive there, that would be greatly helpful. John, chapter 9, verse 24. Again, they call the Alright, so again, this whole um, judgmental attitude of the Pharisees is coming out of this passage where they thought they were, you know, they were following the book. They were following what they considered to be the letter of the law and they thought that everybody else was a sinner. You know, the, uh, later on in the passage, and actually the verse that I wanted to highlight, I must have written it down wrong, was the, the verse where they're talking to the blind man again and he's, he's telling them that Jesus must be from God because, because he healed him. He made his eyes to see. And they said, Are you a, aren't you a sinner and you try to teach us? Again, putting themselves on a plane above this man. But not realizing that it's not about following the dictates of the law as it's written, but it's about following the author. I've said this many times, but I believe it wholeheartedly. You can know the words. I believe there are people that know the words of the Bible better than I do, to my shame. But they don't know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And until you know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, these words on the page, these words that I'm expounding to you, will mean nothing. Because 
there people a lot of people respect this as literature. But Peter said we follow not against cunningly devised fables. The things that we're telling you we experienced and we testify of the things that we know and it's true. Therefore, if the Bible says it happened, it's true. If the Bible says it's going to happen, it's also true. And we need to be aware of that. I want to just uh, share this little illustration kind of reminding us how the, the importance of thoughts and where they lead. This is by a man named Frank Outlaw. I'm not real sure who he is, but it really spoke to me when I found it this week. It said, watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Now, uh, I don't really think about destiny in the way the world does, but I think there's a lot of truth in this quote. Whereas we build thoughts onto words, and words onto actions, and actions to habits, and habits to character, we find ourselves either in a position to surrender to God, or in a position where we will not surrender to God. And you know, this, the sad fact is not everybody will bow the knee to God. Everybody will one day, but not everybody will here on earth. Some will reject Him. They will stiffen their neck. The Bible says that he who hardened his neck, in Proverbs it says this, will be destroyed and that without remedy. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. But some people will do it too late. So I urge you to choose Jesus Christ now. Alright, so moving on with our passage. Obviously the, the Pharisee is having these thoughts and we'll see in this next section how Jesus deals with it. We'll, we'll start with verse 40 and go through 47. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou dost not anoint, but this woman anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same 
loveth little. So, Jesus is telling this story about these creditors. One owed a large sum, the other a small sum. And the, and the, and the, the creditor that they owed forgave them both. And he's saying that if you have forgiven much, if you've been forgiven much, that at least in some ways you can have a greater appreciation for what you've been forgiven. And, and perhaps that's why the, the rougher set of Jesus' day came to him more quickly. Remember I said earlier that if you think that you're okay, you can't get help. But when you know that you're not, miracles can happen. And so we see this again. This, this lady knew that she was not desirable. She came humbly. She was weeping because she was full of sin, full of regrets about her past. We don't read about her past, but we know. And this Pharisee certainly knew because he called her a sinner. But then we see, as we go on, Simon makes the obvious uh, right answer, and he says, you know, the one that was forgiven the most, and Jesus says, thou hast rightly judged. And then he turns to Simon, and he starts talking about all the things that hosts were supposed to do in the Jewish culture. Uh, Jews often wore sandals and they walked around. They didn't have a lot of other ways of transportation. So they would get their feet dirty. And uh, they, would, they would just get, get grungy from, from everyday activity and, and everyday walking around town. And so it was common for a host to take a basin of water and to at least offer it to their guest if not wash their feet themselves that was a, a common Jewish custom and then Jesus talks about you gave me no kiss Paul ends um, at least one of his epistles if not more with greet one another with a holy kiss we don't do that in our culture and I'm not suggesting we necessarily start, but it is significant that it was significant in their culture. That greeting one another with a kiss was something that they did on a normal basis. And where else do we see that come into play? Let me take you to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas Iscariot is there with his fellow conspirators and he says, there's a lot of people here, so the way that you're going to be able to tell who you're supposed to take, know that the one I kiss is the one. And he kisses Jesus and they take Jesus and Jesus says to Judas, Friend. He still calls him friend. He says, Friend, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? 
And, uh, of course, we know that Jesus allowed himself to be bound and carried away on the worst night humanly imaginable. Three trials, three false verdicts, being hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, so that he could bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And when Jesus was hanging there on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And right before he went to the cross, he prayed even for us because he prayed for those who would believe because of the words of the apostles. But Jesus continues here and he says, My head with oil didst thou not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Now I want to make a, a quick clarification here. Most of us know this. But it wasn't the works that this woman did that saved her. But remember when Jesus read the Pharisee's thoughts and heard him say in his thoughts that this woman was a sinner. Why is Jesus interacting with her? Why doesn't he send her away? He no doubt could also read the thoughts of the woman and sense her humble repentance and that her weeping was tears of repentance. Which brings me back to the night Jesus died. Because we see two men there. Two men who make very similar decisions. We see Judas Iscariot on one side who we've already talked about. And we see Peter, the apostle, on the other. And Peter was a brash man. He was always um, having moments in which we would say in our culture, open mouth. Insert foot. He was always saying things that he would later regret. And uh, he said at the Last Supper, he said, Lord, I'm ready to even go and die with you if necessary. If everybody falls away and denies you, I will not. And I believe he believed it. But Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny that you ever knew me. And this was a man who had followed Jesus, who loved Jesus. This was a man who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And it was just a, possibly even just a few minutes later that Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And 
Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter and hearing Jesus say that to you? And so, Peter's in the garden and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest and Jesus puts it back. Which if I were Melchus, at that point I would just be saying, perhaps we shouldn't be doing this. I'm kind of hoping that I meet Melchus in glory and he tells me the story firsthand because I'd like to know what it's like to have your ear uh, put back on your head. That must have been pretty amazing. And then Peter follows at a distance because he's scared. Everybody else ran, so they weren't much better than Peter, but he follows at a distance and he warms his hands by a fire. And soon somebody comes up and says, I know that you were with him. And he says, no, I wasn't. And then, ah, oh, somebody else comes up and he says, Of a truth you were with him, for your speech betrays you, for you are a Galilean. And he says, no, I wasn't. And a third time, somebody says to him, I know that you were with him. And he says, I assure you. And he says, by curses, he says this. I assure you, I do not know this man. And then the cock crows three times. And it says in, I believe it's Luke and we'll get to it later, but it's worth repeating here. It says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine... being Peter that day. Seeing this man who had given you so much and seeing this man who you'd seen given other people so much and you deny him and he looks straight at you and all Peter could do was run away and cry and weep bitterly. But we know that, Jesus, that Peter's tears were tears of repentance. He must have repented over and over in the next three days. We know that God heard his cry for when Jesus rose again, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I'm going before you into Galilee. Tell them that I'm alive, but especially tell Peter. Why? Because Jesus was saying, I'm not done with Peter. And the Peter that we see in the end of the book of John, who was so concerned about what would happen to John, and Jesus said, be, don't be concerned about him, just be concerned about yourself. That man, in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4, stood up and delivered some of the most bold defenses of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that you will ever read. Why? Because he was changed by the Holy Spirit. Because he was humble before God. Because he learned lessons. And so as we look at this 
Jesus is saying to Simon, you may say that you love me. You may say that you're following all of my commands. But this young lady is showing me that she loves me. I have a question for you. Are you showing God that you love Him? It's easy to say that we love Him. It's easy for me to say that I love Him. But am I showing Him by my life that I love Him? And then also the important lesson of forgiveness Jesus is showing us a great example here because he doesn't look at this woman and say, well, you should clean up everything about your past. Then come to me and we'll talk. And I think sometimes we in the church, we say this. We say, get your, get your life right and then come to us and we can help you. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, thy sins are forgiven. And in that moment, that woman passed from death to life. It wasn't about the past. One of my favorite things about the Bible is that God does not judge us on what we have been. But He judges us on what we have the potential to be if we trust Him with our eternal Salvation. And we need to show the same forgiveness to others because we are no better. Can we look at 1 John 1, 8 to 10 by way of cross-reference? 1 John 1, 8 to 10. Whoever gets there first, if you could uh, read it for us, we would appreciate it. I think that passage pretty much speaks for itself. But I especially want to focus on that last verse of that section. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Because God tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeks after God. And that's what God says. And I just have this short story about the importance of forgiveness. It's from the Civil War. It says, in, this book, in his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Bracklin Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in front of her house. There she bitterly cried that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North, or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow them to remain and let bitterness take root 
and poison the rest of our lives. There's a certain element to which we can't forgive somebody unless they ask for it, but unless we adapt an attitude of forgiveness and forgive them before they ask, at least as much as we are able, we will be prisoners to our own bitterness. Choosing unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else will die. And when we think of what we have been forgiven by the Almighty God of the universe, not just by a, uh, an imperfect person, but the Almighty God of the universe, how dare we decide not to forget one another? The Bible says that they will know we are Christians by our love. I think today it's too often that they know we are Christians by our shove. May we, under the conviction and the influence of the Spirit of God, help to show people what real Christianity is all about. The third point, that Jesus honors a sinner's humility. Jesus will always honor your humility. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what this, the date of your birth to November 8th, 2014 has been about. All that matters is November 9th on. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I urge you to do the same. Luke 7, 48-50 And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now I'm not going to begin to believe that it's always the same group of Pharisees together, but I do kind of find it slightly comical that they would always ask this question, never wanting really to hear the answer. There's a passage, and I forget what the reference is. I wish I remembered. But it says something about always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. There's a lot of smart people in the world today. PhDs. People with... with four or five times the mental brain capacity that I will ever have. But they still choose to reject God. They learn a lot of stuff, but they don't have the wisdom that is found in the fear of the Lord. If you want to know who Jesus is, He will reveal Himself to you. But if you don't, he's not going to waste his time.
There's at least one passage where it says that Jesus went into a town and He didn't do any miracles there because they didn't believe in Him. And He says that He knew the hearts of man and nobody had to tell Him what was in the heart of man because He knew all of them. And there are people that go before a judge on the basis of one thing that they've done. And it can alter their life forever and change it in a bad way. But Jesus, the author of life, He knows everything you've ever done. And yet He still chooses to forgive you. He never, think about this, He never forgets His promises to us. But the one that never forgets His promises to us chooses to forget our sin. For He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from me. So my question to you is this. Are you going to be like the Pharisees who constantly say that man or that woman or that little kid he's a sinner or are you going to start with yourself and say Lord be merciful to me a sinner because if we start with ourselves and we get ourselves right with God, then we will see other people as sinners as well, but we won't see them in a way that condemns them and makes them worse than us. We will see them as fellow travelers for whom we want to see them get on the right path. We should have a humble attitude about ourselves. Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The moderator of the service introduced the ministry in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the large congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China and then presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Dear friends, I have seen God do amazing things in my life. And I believe that He will continue to do so. But as He does, may I echo the words of Hudson Taylor when he says, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. May you be able to say that today, and if you ha are not able to say that today, I urge you to do business with God. He stands ready and willing to accept you. He says that him that cometh to me I will in no wise 
Once you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, you cannot be cast out of his kingdom. Why? Because it's not on the basis of your merit that you're there. It's on the basis of his. And he died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead. You know, there's a lot of gods in this world that are dead. A lot of servants of false gods that are dead. But the God of this book, Jesus Christ, He's not dead. He said in in Revelation, He said, I am He that liveth and was dead. And I live to die no more. Because he lives, so shall I. I pray that you can say the same thing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful privilege it has been to be under the sound of your word. Lord, thank you for examples from history like that of Hudson Taylor. May we learn from these lessons. May we learn from the stories that you have placed in this book. Thank you for Luke's attention to detail in in penning his gospel. Lord, uh, The words of it are so blessed to me because I know you. Because I don't just know the words, I know the author of the words. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to bless and keep um, these people here at Holland Gospel Chapel. That your face would shine upon them, that you would give them peace. They would go forth into the world this week and carry your light into whatever small corner we are in. And that we would shine brighter as the days grow darker. We pray this in Jesus' name. In the name of the risen Christ. Amen.